Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. Easter Sunday morning and the children's church teacher wanted to make sure her second graders all understood the true meaning of Easter. And so she asked a daring question to her little class of second graders. She said, who can tell me what Easter is all about? Well, one little boy dressed up in his little Easter suit and bow tie raised his head, hand and said, teacher, I can tell you what Easter is all about. And he said, Easter is all about the Easter Bunny coming to visit us and bringing us all lots of candy. And uh, she shook her head and she said, no, honey, uh, that's, that's okay, but that's, that's not what Easter is all about. Then a, a little girl who was dressed in her brand new Easter dress raised her hand and said, teacher, I can tell you what Easter is all about. Easter is all about putting on your best new spring dress going to church with your family, then going home and having an Easter egg hunt. The teacher, well, honey, those things are fine, but that's not really what Easter is, is all about. Well, this time she's kind of discouraged, you know. She hasn't done a very good job teaching them, apparently. They don't really know what Easter is all about. But finally, a little girl raised her hand and said, teacher, I know. I know what Easter is all about. She said, Easter is the Christian holiday that coincides with the Jewish celebration of Passover. She continued, Jesus and his disciples were eating at the Last Supper, and Jesus was later betrayed by Judas and turned over to the Romans to be crucified. Then he was buried in a nearby tomb, which was sealed off by a large stone. And the teacher just started beaming. Okay, finally, one of my kids knows the true meaning of Easter. But before she could say anything, the little girl continued. And every year, the stone is rolled away so that Jesus can come out. And if he sees his shadow, there will be six more... <laughs> six more weeks of winter. You know, that's a cute story, but the fact of the matter is that it illustrates something very important. And, and many of us, maybe if you grew up in church like I did, or you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, we might take this for granted. But there are really a lot of people in our world who don't know what Easter is all about. According to a recent survey done by the Barna Research Group, while almost 70% of Americans recognize that Easter is a religious celebration, only 42%, okay, less than half of Americans relate the resurrection of Jesus to Easter. Uh, more than half the people in our nation don't make the connection of Jesus coming back from the dead to Easter Sunday. So let's talk about the resurrection of Jesus today for a few minutes. And I, and I want us to look at it within the overall context of God's dealings and God's plan for humankind. And so I'm going to title today's message, The Gardens of God. 
the gardens of God. Nothing denotes springtime like a garden. And while uh, not everyone is into gardening, although I'm sure some of you here today, you know, have a garden and you love working in a garden. Not everybody's into gardening. Everybody, I think, loves a garden. There's something fresh. There's something new. There's something special about a garden. Now, I grew up in a a home where uh, my dad loved gardens. He didn't really pass that on to me, at least as far as working in the gardens. Uh, But he loved, he had a little garden out in our backyard. And I remember finding him after he'd get home from the office out there, you know, working in the garden, kind of decompressing from the day. He loved that little garden. He loved to watch the the birds play and sing. And and he loved to watch the, the vegetables and the fruit grow in that garden. And I was thinking about that this past week as I was working on today's sermon. And I remembered that in the kitchen where I grew up, little house where I grew up in Indiana, there was a plaque that hung above the kitchen table. And I must have seen that plaque a million times sitting down for breakfast or lunch or dinner at that table. And there was a saying on the plaque. It said something about gardens, and I didn't remember what it said. And so I, I texted uh, one of my sisters who still lives in Indiana. And I texted her. I said, hey, hey, you remember that little plaque we had in our home growing up? It hung in the kitchen. And it, had, it said something about gardens. Do you remember what it said about gardens? Because I was thinking about using that in my sermon for this Sunday. And my sister texted me back. And she said, I'll, I'll do you one better than that. I still have that plaque. And so she sent me a picture of it. I'll show it. To you, uh, here it is in all of its 1970s glory. (laughs) And here's what it said The kiss of the sun for pardon, the song of the birds for mirth, one is nearer God's heart in a garden than anywhere else on earth. And some of you gardeners would say, Yeah, I can relate to that. I can identify with that. And I remember seeing that in the kitchen where I grew up and seeing my dad working out in the garden. And as you read the Bible, you find that God does seem to have a special place in his heart for gardens. It really does seem as though God's biggest plans for humankind always take place around a garden. Have you ever noticed that? And of course, the Bible was written thousands of years ago in in an agrarian society and culture. So there are countless references to sowing and reaping and planting and harvesting and all those types of things. But even beyond that, the Bible talks about four important pivotal gardens through which God worked in his dealings with people like you and like me. We might say that God's agenda for humankind really came out of a garden. So what I want us to do in the few moments we have together this Easter Sunday morning is visit each of those four gardens, and we'll see how each one of them relate to what we're celebrating today, the risen Christ. Well, the first garden, you may have guessed, we'll call the Garden of Creation. The Garden of Creation. It's the Garden of Eden, right? This was where God's dealings with people all began the garden of creation. And here's what it says about the garden of Eden, the garden of creation in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. 
It says, now the, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. Now the word Eden just simply means pleasant. And there was nothing about this garden that was unpleasant. Everything about it was pleasant. Everything about it was good. In fact, uh, seven different times in the Bible, in the early chapters of Genesis, God sees it and he says, this is good, or, or this is very good. It was a beautiful garden, the garden of creation. It was a garden without briars or bristles or weeds. Can you imagine that, you gardeners? No, no destructive insects in this garden. And God placed the first man and the woman in the garden of creation. He put them there to take care of it. Uh, the Bible says to name the animals, to enjoy its beauty and its produce. The garden of creation was a garden of abundance. It was a garden of pleasantness. It was really, we could say, a garden of paradise for Adam and Eve. But this garden, although it did not have weeds or thistles or destructive insects, this garden did have a snake in it, didn't it? It actually probably had lots of snakes in it when you think about it. Did you know Genesis says that the snake was one of the most beautiful aspects of God's creation? Kind of hard for us to imagine that here in North Carolina, isn't it? How many of you have seen your first snake of the spring season, right? Yeah, okay, they're, they're on the move right now. But that wasn't always the case. In, in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Creation, snakes were beautiful creatures. And as you might be out in your garden and say, wow, look at the beauty of that cardinal or that blue jay. Adam and Eve very well could have said, look at the beauty of that snake. We don't usually say that. in North What do we say? When you see a snake in your garden, you say, where's my shovel? Right? <laughs> we don't want that guy in our, in our garden. How much has changed since the fall from paradise, the garden of creation? In that garden, Satan usurped God's authority and entered one of those beautiful snakes. And he tempted Adam and Eve to turn away from God and to turn to their own way and to do their own thing. And in an instant, in a moment that garden of paradise was lost. As a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience and rebellion against God, not only were they banished from this garden, and they were given a death sentence, instead of living forever in fellowship with God, they would now suffer both physical death and spiritual death. And not only that, but as a result of their sin in the garden of creation... All of their children, including you and including me, have inherited the sin nature of destruction and death in our own bodies and in our own spirits. Well, what transpired in that first garden is what made the second garden necessary. 
And we're going to call the second garden the Garden of Affliction. You know, here at Liberty, we've been reflecting on this garden for the past several weeks, actually, in the message series leading up to Easter called Journey to the Cross. Many of you have been reading that little devotional book called The Easter Code. We've been talking a lot about this garden, the Garden of Affliction, this time of year, because it's better known as the Garden of Gethsemane. We can read about the Garden of Gethsemane in all four Gospels in the New Testament. Actually, you can still visit this garden today. It's located just outside of Jerusalem in Israel. And it was in this garden that Jesus and his disciples would often uh, visit to get away from the crowds. During the busy days of their uh, earthly ministry, Jesus and his disciples would come to the Garden of Gethsemane to refresh, to refocus, to pray, to rest. Gardens are good for that. But one fateful evening, just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus entered this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he entered, he entered one of the darkest, most sorrowful seasons of his brief earthly life. To him, indeed, it was the Garden of Affliction. Well, after Jesus and his disciples had finished the Last Supper in the upper room, here's what we read about this garden in John chapter 18. It says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Verse 2 says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And of course, we know that Jesus was arrested in this garden of affliction. He was taken from this garden to stand trial before Pilate, and in just a matter of hours would be hanging on the cross carrying the weight of your sins and mine and all those who've come before us and all those who will come after us. The word Gethsemane is the Hebrew word for olive press. Uh, that's what this garden was. It was an olive garden. It was a place where olives would be uh, picked and pressed for their oil. And it was in this garden of affliction where the perfect, sinless Son of God would be pressed under the weight of the sins of the world. Jesus willingly entered this second garden, the garden of affliction, to address the sin and death that took place in the first garden, the garden of creation. So the garden of affliction takes us through Good Friday and the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But today is Easter Sunday. It's a time for rejoicing because of this third garden. And we'll refer to it as the Garden of Celebration. Let's follow the disciple John's account of this garden in John chapter 19. Here's what John writes. At the place where Jesus was crucified... Here it is again. There is a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had ever been laid. They laid Jesus there. And so initially, this 
Doesn't sound like a garden of celebration at all, does it? This sounds more like a cemetery. Not a lot of celebrating usually takes place in a cemetery. But what is that song we sing here at Liberty sometimes? He turns graves into gardens. So he turns this cemetery into a garden of celebration. If you're following along in a Bible in the next chapter, John chapter 20, it says in verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Skip down to verse 11, it says... Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Well, at this she turned and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And I don't know how you read that in the Bible. I mean, we're limited to some degree to the printed page. But I can't help but read that and think about Jesus with a smile on his face, kind of tapping into his playful nature. Because he told Mary... And he told the disciples, look, I'm going to die, but I will rise again, okay? I'm coming back. He told them that, and yet they didn't believe it. And so she's mourning, and she's sad. I mean, Jesus knows why. Jesus knows why she's crying, right? It's not like he's asking to get information. He knows why she's crying. She thinks that Jesus is dead and gone forever because she saw it happen with her own two eyes. And so I just have to read that those questions of Jesus and think he's just like uh, okay 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna mess around with her a little bit and I'm gonna just see you know you know where she's coming from and all this and I'm just gonna there's just kind of this playful nature okay okay well maybe I can help you what are you looking you know who you're looking for okay it sounds like a terrible terrible thing maybe I can assist you to find the person you're looking for well look what it says thinking he was the gardener, all right. So quite a demotion from the risen Christ to the gardener, but she didn't know. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And in that moment, when she heard Jesus call her by name, she began to realize, yes, he is the one who turns graves into gardens. Yes, he is the one who came back from the dead. Yes, Jesus is alive. So let the celebration begin. You know, Jesus is the only one who can turn a grave into a garden. And that's exactly what he does right here on this first Easter Sunday. You know, Jesus did not walk into this garden, did he? He was carried into the garden, to this garden, right? He was carried as a lifeless corpse. But here's the good news of Easter Sunday. Here's the good news to 
everyone who believes in Jesus. The good news is that even though Jesus didn't walk into this garden, he walked out of the garden on his own two feet, filled with life like never before. Let the celebration begin. This is indeed a garden of celebration. So, because of sin in the first garden, death and destruction, this death sentence came upon all people. In the second garden, Jesus himself submitted to that death sentence. And he paid the price by dying on the cross. And in this third garden, where death was conquered, Jesus rose again, which makes possible one more garden. The fourth garden. And we're going to call this one the Garden of Restoration. Now, unlike the other three gardens, this one is not on earth, but it's no less real than these other gardens which are on earth. This garden, the Garden of Restoration, is in heaven. And we started our garden journey in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Let's conclude the journey in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Because I want you to see the promise God gives to all who have placed their faith in the risen Christ and therefore are victorious over sin and death. Here's what Revelation 2 verse 7 says. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Of course, that reference to the tree of life harkens back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Right? We just read that in Genesis. That's where the tree of life, the tree eternal life, was originally located. The Greek word used here for paradise in verse 7, it comes from an ancient Persian word which simply means garden. The Garden of Paradise. And that makes sense because the tree of life was originally in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Creation. So you see what's happening. The Garden of Restoration in heaven is paradise restored. What was lost in Eden is found in heaven. When Adam and Eve ascend and they got that death sentence, in heaven there is no more curse that sentence has been removed, and it's all because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Amen. Listen, without the Garden of Celebration, without Easter Sunday, there would be no Garden of Restoration for you and I. Death would have the final word in each and every one of our stories. In fact, there's a section in the book of Revelation. It's in, the, it's in uh, Revelation chapter 22, and it's commonly referred to simply as Eden restored. In fact, if you're following along in a Bible, it very well may have that caption above the, the passage, Eden restored. It's talking about heaven. And I want to read just a couple of verses from that chapter. From John's vision, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. 
So you see, heaven is the garden of restoration. The curse that infected that first garden because of our sin is gone. It's been removed. The paradise that was lost in Eden is restored in heaven. So think about it this way. Because of what Adam did in that first garden, Jesus did in the second garden. And because Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead in the third garden, he and he alone can invite you to join him in the fourth garden, the garden of restoration. That's why Jesus and Jesus alone can make the promise from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he dies, will live again. That's the promise of Easter. That's the hope that we have in Christ. A Bible teacher and a pastor who's had a strong influence on me over the past couple of decades, I don't know him, but uh, through his books and his teachings and his ministry is a guy named Tim Keller. Uh, some of you probably heard of Tim Keller. He's a well-known Christian author. Uh, for years, Tim Keller was the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, kind of a famous historic old church. Uh, recently, uh, Tim Keller was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And of course, the prognosis with pancreatic cancer is never good. Um, and recently, I was reading an article about him, and I think he's in the hospital right now, actually getting treatment uh, for that. Um, but I was reading an article about him. They're doing an interview, just kind of talking about, you know, how his faith has played a role in helping him navigate this you know, serious health crisis in his life. And I really loved one of his quotes, and I think it's just such an appropriate way to conclude an Easter sermon like this one, because you can tell Tim Keller's mind is turning toward the Garden of Restoration, this fourth and final garden. So let me read to you what he said. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil is going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging is going to go away. Cancer is going to go away. Now, if the resurrection did not happen, then all bets are off. But if it actually happened, as the historical evidence suggests and the Bible declares, then there's all the hope in the world. You know, it's my privilege this morning to declare to you it happened. It happened. The tomb is empty. And Jesus is alive. So the only question is, have you put your faith in the risen Christ? So the one who believes in him, even though he dies, will live again. Well, this Easter Sunday, 2023, Jesus invites you to believe in him. Never opened up your heart to faith in Christ, there is no better time to do that than on Easter Sunday. To have your sins forgiven, washed away, God putting his spirit into your life and giving you a new hope, the hope of resurrection. Now listen, you know, when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean their problems all of a sudden all vanish, they go away. 
Listen, if you put your hope in Jesus today, there's no promise that your life is going to be easier or that you're not going to have some of the problems and anxieties that normal people face, like Tim Keller. Here's what it means. It means that when God saves you and forgives you through his son Jesus, it means that you have a promise. You have a hope. And God always keeps his promises. You have a hope that things will be restored. That God is going to take the wrong and make it right. That when you enter that garden of restoration, you're going to find that in the garden of restoration, there is no more sickness, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more goodbyes, no more death. Jesus himself said, in this world, we'll have trouble. Everybody does. But there is coming a garden for every believer in Jesus where there will be no trouble. Paradise lost will be found. Everything that was cursed will be made new. And it's the garden of restoration that Jesus invites you to be a part of today. And the only way you can get there, the only way I can get there, is through the only one who ever came back from the dead, risen and glorified. And that's who we celebrate this morning. You see, that's what Easter is all about. It is a life-changing, life-transforming message. And our prayer here at Liberty is that not one person who attends on an Easter Sunday would walk away not having made peace with God through Jesus Christ. So he's just waiting on you.